0: Hi there, I'm Julie Nemitz and this is In the Green Room, a creatives going digital podcast. I take the 15 plus years I've spent in digital marketing for Fortune 500 brands and my years of supporting nonprofits' arts organizations, Grow Online, to today, where I help creative folks like you learn to make, move, and market content online. Whether you are working for an arts organization or for yourself, this podcast serves to help keep the creative arts and artists moving forward into the digital age. I also feature current arts news, a healthy dose of marketing know-how, tips and tricks, and feature interviews with some of the country's finest arts makers. So take your seat in the green room. I'm so glad to have you here where you belong. Well, hello there. This is an epic episode of In the Green Room Live. I'm Julie Nemitz, and I created the Playhouse Theater Marketing Academy and the In the Green Room podcast exactly one year ago. What a year it has been, my friends. We've had over 800 members subscribe to the Academy, and I have to tell you that 48 of them are admittedly my special favorites. Those are the theaters and the theater leaders that are part of the theater marketeers. So a shout out to all those marketeers who may be listening to the podcast today. And you know what? Even a few of them are going to be a part of the show. So stay tuned for that. I am so honored and so excited to share with you theater and marketing leaders from all over the country. They joined me to talk about the year that was how they persevered through the pandemic, and how they continue to do so. We also talked about what's ahead for theater organizations, as well as important topics like digital content and digital marketing. So sit back, grab those few remaining Christmas cookies, and enjoy this four-part epic episode of In the Green Room. I'm so happy to have you here where you belong. All right. I hope you guys got some tips and some interesting thoughts there. Next up, I'm really excited about um, the folks that are joining me now. I've put together a group of theater leaders, um, executive directors, artistic directors, co-founders, owners of, of theaters across the country who the one thing that stood out to me about them is they overcame obstacles and they kept theater moving forward and they they persevered through this pandemic like nobody's business. Whether it was doing online Zoom um, fundraisers and galas and virtual fundraising events, or they were doing innovative and new works, or they were tailoring their content to their their beloved audiences, they all figured out a way to make digital content and how to market that content work for their organization. So I'm more than thrilled to have an incredible panel join me now. Uh, Hunter, do you want to go ahead and bring everybody on up? Hello, everyone.
1: Hi, Julie. Hi Hi there.
0: Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: I'm I'm thrilled. Listen, um, I want to go ahead and have you, I, I, I've talked enough. I would love for all of you to introduce yourself and let us know, um, you know, what what your organization, you know, where you come from, your organization, and describe your role at the theater. That would be great. Tony, why don't you start out?
1: I'm Tony Humrickhauser and I'm the artistic director of the Kalamazoo Civic Theater. Uh, we are 92 years old. Uh, and we've been uh, doing pretty well. So uh, artistic director, director, that's my role at the theater, and uh, survivalist.
2: <laughs> I love it, I love it. Jared, how about you? Uh, hi, I'm Jared Kopp, the executive director of Theater Tulsa. Uh, we are currently in our 98th season, so I've got you beat there, Tony, and- uh, <laughs> Not <laughs> I a competition. It's not. It's not. <laughs> um, and I'm with you. I feel like we're in a survival mode, guerrilla mode right now, and um, you know, hunkering down but trying to uh, to push back against this pandemic.
3: Yes, indeed. Ah, uh, Dorinda, how about you? Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hi. Nice to see you, Julie. Nice to meet everyone. I'm Dorinda Toner. I'm the producing artistic director of Twilight Theater Company in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I also serve on the PATA board, which is the Portland Area Theater Alliance. And I met Julie through the AACT, which is the American Association of Community Theater. So um, I'm excited to be here. Um, Thanks for having me. And um, boy, yes, to all of the survival above. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Agreed.
0: (laughs) So true. Jeremy, how about yourself?
4: Hi, I'm Jeremy Koch, Artistic Director of Farmers Alley Theater, also in Kalamazoo, like Tony. Um, we are an SPT. We're a 100-seat black box theater. We're 12 years old. Uh, we're one of those equity SPTs that uh, needs extra extra love and care uh, <laughs> and uh, extra planning. But um, I'm the Artistic Director, um, frequent performer, um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it.
0: And when he's and, and on, on every other day of the week he's also hand, he's also heading up a lot of the marketing efforts So you wear many hats. I know all of you wear many hats. Um, Bert, how about yourself?
5: Hi everyone Bert Bernardi I am the co-producer of Pantaino Productions. We are Connecticut's ridiculously entertaining theater for family audiences We're located in the New Haven area in Southern Connecticut. And uh, yeah again uh, besides the hat I'm wearing, I have a bunch more that, that I put on throughout the season.
0: <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Bert. And last but certainly not least, Natasha. Welcome. I'm so
3: sorry, I had to
0: coming from my car. I hope you can no hear worries. Me. <laughs> uh,
6: I'm Natasha Parney, and I'm the managing artistic director and owner of Dark Horse Theater Company. We are a small non equity theater in the DC, Northern Virginia area. And uh, are the director and producer, and designer. many hats are worn. So
0: thank many, you for having ma- me. You're welcome. Many hats indeed. Many hats indeed. So, with so many diverse uh so many diverse experiences over the past 10 months for all of you, for some of you back to 90 years ago, but uh, there's one thing that's kind of risen to the top uh, for I think for all of us in that was like what how did you react to having to pivot? your organization and figure out how to stay connected with your patrons online? I'd love to kind of start there. That's a broad question, but it kind of goes into like, what did you do? What was the thinking behind your organization's move to staying connected online with your audiences? Um, why don't we start with
2: Jared? Um, well. I would say that, first of all, we had to uh, take a big pause on what we were doing. Uh, Our theater does about 10 to 12 productions in a year, and that means we have to start our season planning about 18 months in advance. We start pre-production about 12 months before show goes up, Um, you know, three or four months beforehand, you're in. production meetings and, and building pieces. You're in rehearsal two months before that show even opens. So there's a very long timeline that we have to live within. And at the time that this pandemic hit in March, we were opening a show, A Little Night Music. It opened on March 13th, the very next day on March 14th, the mayor shut the city's public facilities down and our show closed after one performance, um, not for the usual reasons that show closes after one performance. And uh, and we had two other shows that were currently in you know, pre-production ready to go the next month and the, the next two subsequent months. And uh, we had already invested all this money into it. We had the sets built. We had the costumes done. We, we were in rehearsal. We were good to go. And so we didn't want to keep sinking money into these productions that were coming up in the future. We didn't know what the future was going to hold. Um, We didn't know if at the time, this is March, April. We didn't know if we'd be back in theaters by the fall, late fall or, you know, we were just winging it and figuring it out every two or three weeks. And so our first big decision was we took our entire planned 98 season and we said, that's not gonna be our 99th season. It would have started in July of this year. Of this year, yeah educational programs and then in august we had done our first main stage show and we basically told the subscribers and supporters that hold on to your vouchers you people have already you know built, put up subscriptions we're going to put the whole thing out 12 months in advance and the shows that you have already planned to see this season we're going to do them sometime over the next year and we you know we uh, we weren't able to do that with a little night music um but we we still have uh, Matilda and Frozen Jr., which are our next two shows, uh, in storage, ready to go, and we are—you know—we've been waiting for good news on COVID numbers, which hasn't come, especially right. in Oklahoma, uh, right. on. a which is positive news now we're watching very closely the rollout of this vaccine and how quickly the population will get it so that we can start having people back in theaters again and and for us it's not so much the audiences I mean I can deal with you know having to cut down our audience size a bit even though that eats into our revenue model uh for what we had planned but um these are, we're known for big shows, big musicals that may have 20, 30, 40, 50 people in them. And the backstages are not equipped for that, for social distancing. So we're having to figure out how to do this for our actor population, our community of, of theater performers, how we can do that safely and have them feel confident that they can work with us and not get sick and not have an outbreak. And that's been a really big challenge from there. Um, but that was our big, big thing was was to just take a, to get some breathing room for several months so that we could plan ahead. And I'm so glad we did that. that was, at the time in April, we thought, did we, did we just leave money on the table? Did we just do too aggressively of kicking it out by 12 months? But we turned out to be kind of right in that because I couldn't see us doing theater in the past nine months uh, at all in, in the way that things have been going.
0: Yeah, and you guys really, you guys did pivot. You moved to some really innovative and uh, and, and distinctive online content for your patrons. Uh, whether, you, I know you brought in guest artists, you've, you've created, you know, unique, original content,
2: right? Yeah, and, um, you know, this goes back to, um, Tony has probably had a similar thought as well, being a nine decade long theater company, in that we started thinking, you know, we knew our, in our history, We'd gone through the Great Depression and World War II. Uh, I mean, in World War II, we didn't have regular theater companies. The theater of Tulsa would go to veterans hospitals and perform shows there. And that was how they continuously kept doing productions. And we thought, okay, we can't do traditional theater in a big 400 seat theater anymore, but what can we do to connect our community? And um, a lot of that went, went to, um, it went virtual first of all. And what we learned pretty quickly was that trying to do things, trying to do traditional theater virtually, um, we didn't quite have the resources to make it work, at least to my satisfaction um, in terms of turning into a video production company. Uh, That's a really tough hurdle to overcome. We can do a lot of great stuff in a live space, but when you put it in front of a camera, and it, the camera's eye is very unforgiving anyway. And um, we're just not video producing people. So we did our classes online, which did fine. We upped it a little bit in the fall by finding some Broadway performers, some that we had a connection with through the past, um, some that we did not. We just hired them through, um, through some services and booked them for a series of master classes. Really yeah. focused on our youth because our youth semester for the fall was gone. Um, we found that we had a, a, a lot of success online just doing brand new original programming that we had never done before. We did a, a series called Magic Moments where we did cast reunions. This was mm-hmm. stolen by Josh Gad who did those cast reunions in the summer this year. <laughs> and so uh, it was Alone Together, I think is what he called it. And ours was Magic yeah. Moment. And we'd get the cast of, say, Beauty and the Beast and talk about, we we bring them on the same way we bring on in you know here's some of the production team here's some of the leads here's yeah. some of these other people we'd reproduce some scenes we'd have them sing a little bit of something solos of course because that's all you can do on zoom and uh and we did those as a pay what you can fundraiser and it it was pretty successful yeah. in that regard um we're also rolling out um, i don't know if you've seen these tv shows where celebrities play um games game night that kind of thing yeah. we're actually doing a series of game shows starting in january um with our actors we're going to use our actors and bring them on not just as themselves but also some of character characters that they've played in the past oh fun we're just going to improv the crap out of it yeah it around games like you know theater jeopardy and wheel of fortune and, and, and things like that uh we're pretty excited for that we just started teasing it out last week um, inviting people to join us if they if they wanted to to be a contestant on the show, yeah. some of our theater community. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, we also we attempted to work on live theater again with a Tell Me a Story series, which we rolled out uh, in the fall. We collected stories from the community. We had people submit stories that they that true life stories that happened to them. Uh, we matched those stories with writers who created script that we then matched to a director and a cast and had them perform those. Um, we did our first show of that in November and it went right. off fine. Um, and we did. And the idea was we performed it in an art gallery, three story art gallery, two performances per floor. And we had the audience in groups of 10 pods of 10 rotating mm-hmm. the different uh, performance areas. Um, it worked for November, I will say in Oklahoma, our numbers kept spiking yeah, by week. And so we, we pushed the December one back to February. And because of the holidays, we're actually going to record them because we still wanna get the stories out there when we have the run of the gallery for a few dates in January. And we're gonna record them kind of um, guerrilla style almost. Um, yeah. a, fake audience, you know, like the other cast members will play the audience and we're going to, we're basically telling those casts of the shows, okay, after July 1st, you have three weeks that you've got to limit your social, yeah. uh, your, your social interactions and masking and so forth. If you want to be in this show. Jared, because, that's
0: awesome. Yeah. That's a really so, great program. I'm looking so, forward to hearing more about it. Our whole thing
2: was we want to bring back live theater, but we had to do it safely. I'd never want to be the guy who is responsible for an outbreak in our theater right. ch- and, um, and so we've been, the whole time, we've been very careful with anyone who was exposed. They had to, we had to find a substitute. Uh, right. We scrapped one cast opening night and did it with scripts with another cast because someone tested positive. Uh, no, she was exposed to someone positive yeah. from another show she was working on. And she was, and I was like, well, you're out. And the other person said, I'm not comfortable doing it either. A co-star, yeah. stay home too. And we just put in a new reader's cast for it. Yeah, um, sure. It's been, yeah, you've got to pivot so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Speaking of pivoting, maybe we can pivot. I'd love to hear from Bert about, you know, how you've looked at, you know, how that pivot happened for you and how you yeah. uh, persevered with the pandemic and in how you guys approached making content. That's what I'm really curious about.
5: Yeah, it was a, it was like a whirlwind and the whole thing hit and that everything that we had on the table and everything we had planned, uh, you know, the papers just flew. We couldn't do any of it. But um, you know, I'm very lucky to be uh, quarantined uh, with, with my co-producer partner and, and, and our good friend who's our composer. And we just played the game of what if, what if. And we, we found so many things that we could do uh, right here uh, in our living room. We started our online series called Let's Learn Stuff, which is an educational comedy series for both children and adults. And that's still running. And I, I think that'll, that'll just play forever. <laughs> because right. it's really fun to do and we've developed a wonderful online community uh, of 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 viewers who watch that and um you know interact with each other now it's it's amazing and that, um, we,
0: that didn't ha- that didn't exist before the, but I would never even it, right? have thought
5: of that, but you know, I sort of went back to like, what's our mission? Like, how do we right. entertain children and families? And that seemed to be a, a great option, and and obviously a really good one. And and I think you know that we we identified. Okay, we have three people who can act and write and direct and design and compose. So we did our own little show called Panagino Curbside, which right. we traveled with to front yards and backyards all summer long. Uh, that kept us uh, super busy. Uh, we had just started a podcast series, which we stepped up and uh, entertained. And that's still going on. And people listen to those podcasts, you know, in the middle of the night all the time. Everywhere. It's,
0: absolutely.
5: Yeah. And that's sort of like wh- what a no brainer to, to put that together and and to, you know, little stories, short ones for for kids and their families to enjoy. Um, we 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 had our, our, our biggest success for the year really was uh, one of those moments like what if? And it was uh, to create a Halloween drive through musical uh which which we did and after tell me about it yeah so we we had you know uh, it was 10 little scenes that you you stayed in your car and you drove the soundtrack played on a you you tuned your radio to a certain channel to hear the music and you saw these this variety of little um halloween scenes um one facebook post sold that out and over five thousand people saw that show over one weekend um it's it's the biggest success we ever had Okay, um, I need
0: I need to review those numbers. We we did one Facebook. Post one Facebook post,
5: not even not even a a, a, a paid for sponsored. You didn't post. you
0: didn't use an ad, you didn't put an ad no. campaign behind it, and no, you I, used you made one organic post, and you had five thousand people.
5: Every every mother and father in Southern Connecticut Said, liked it and hey, shared you. it and <laughs> yes. bought tickets instantly, and it became so popular really? that actually there was a there were two people who were uh, not from the Connecticut area who were online scalping tickets to it. Unfortunately, some people uh, were burned by that. But oh. I mean, that's how popular this event sort of got. Um,
0: who who knew? <laughs> Out of the box thinking, you know. I was um is uh, is um Jeremy? Could you jump in with this conversation? Because uh you know there was a lot of inspiration going on between between theaters over the summer, and and uh, Farmer's Alley was another theater that kind of leapt into this whole concept about bringing theater to people versus. Yeah necessarily having it live online. But Jeremy, you wanna tell us about that?
4: Well, sure, You know, people felt a little safer outdoors and uh, imitation, of course, is the highest form of flattery. So um, Bert and I kind of go way back. So he won't mind that I lovingly borrowed his idea. Um, It was also done in Grand Rapids too. I'm sure other theaters have done this, but I thought if Bert can do it, why can't I? Uh, (laughs) And I thought if we just bring some speakers and some microphones and I get some instrumental tracks on my laptop computer then I and uh, other Farmers Alley people turned out to be my kids, Jason and Carly, who are fantastically talented. We brought uh, theater to people instead of bringing people to our theater. And we sang Broadway show tunes to them in their backyards or front yards or wherever they wanted us to be, usually the backyard. Um, And it worked out really well. And I got trained on the soundboard. So now I can add soundboard op to my resume. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, you have to think creatively and think outside the box And and people were um, thrilled, You know what I mean? They were so grateful. I mean, so, um, all of them just said, we've been missing live performance so much. And even just you on this wired handheld mic in my backyard, right. you know, fills that need for them a little bit, you know, and it fills our need to feel like we are still a part of this artistic community. And we are bringing love and peace and joy and happiness and music to people.
0: Yeah awesome and you know natasha if you don't mind coming in because i also know that natasha if you join this conversation too natasha has done some really innovative stuff with her theater company um sort of out of the box as well natasha do you want to tell us about that
6: sure thank you so much i can you guys hear me okay yeah, you i'm sound great a
0: comedy of errors <laughs> okay, great. Hey, it's the theater we um, love the comedy of um, errors beautiful.
6: Right. Um, the practice for 2020, right? How 2020 yeah. <laughs> of me. Um, so we, our group initially was pretty hard against doing virtual theater of any kind uh, because we thought it would be an eight-week pandemic. You're we totally wrong. Um, so we ended up commissioning a playwright who's now our resident playwright from L.A. to write us Plays intended for virtual performance. Now this was at this time in July, pretty novel, but uh, you know, now it's kind of, it's, it's a brand new medium a lot of people are doing now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were really hungry to get back to doing in-person performance. So in October we did a production of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream outdoors, kind of a Shakespeare in the park style thing Um, We brought in kind of members of the community and local students who were starved for acting opportunities and um, we had 40 people involved with the production, we were super careful, not a single person got COVID, which was a a pretty big feat we were proud of and you know, we're we're back to live performance with our improv group, smaller house. That's houses. what
0: I want. That's what I wanted to learn more about that because that's a really unique thing. That um, it kind of makes me think of like what Bert's been doing about like that. Well, what can we do? Like you guys really broke the box there and you started thinking about how does improv work in the right. digital space?
6: Yeah. So we tried. We tried to do it in the digital space. Uh, yeah. Miserable. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have we have a resident improv group called Calamity Improv, and. Uh-huh. We have uh, performances that are monthly at multiple venues throughout the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. And once COVID hit, we just did virtual rehearsals, which for an improv group, I, I mean, it was torturous. And, and we did the best we can, and everyone really tried to commit to it. Um, and so, I mean, the magic of improv is being in person. It really is. The magic of theater is being in person. And um, so we just... Uh, cut our houses down and are doing social distancing and social distancing among the actors and the biggest goal for us this year was to make it make the audience feel safe coming to theater again and make our performers feel safe coming to work again. And even if that means our box office is smaller and we have a 40 30 people in the audience versus right. 70 or 80, that's what works for us and You know, the the mantra I've been telling myself is like create don't stagnate and I'm just we're just trying to move in a direction. Right, um, we, we've been fortunate to have venues to support that.
0: Yeah, and the three of you definitely—you got the three of you definitely hold that true. Like, create, don't stagnate. You, that's definitely a truth for all of you guys. Is how you're moving through this time. Um, I would love to talk to Tony and Dorinda because they both, um, obviously, um, are are deep into the community theater um world. And I would love to hear from you guys about you know how did you approach the pandemic and how did your organizations move through it? Tony, why don't we start with you?
1: Well, you know, we were, it was the perfect storm for us, Julie, as an organization. Many things happened in our community at one time. Uh, COVID hit, Black Lives Matter came to the forefront. Our organization, along with many organizations around town, were challenged to change programming but we we're challenged amid the covid crisis right so what we've decided what we decided to do was leap into action so we formed committees we restructured our play reading format so we've taken the time to really thoughtfully go through that work uh and we didn't jump too fast we really thoughtfully went through that in addition what happened to us just like the other theater we were ready to open frozen Uh, the next day, and then we were closed down the day before. uh, That was very difficult for us because our children's programming really means a lot to us as an organization. And to disappoint children was very difficult to us. So we knew at the forefront, we would want to do programming for kids right away. That needed to happen immediately. Because so... We came up with some innovative summer programming. We did a tech camp via, on live. People would uh, learn, adults learn sewing skills. We, we went and reached into our own bags and decided let's dive into instruction and allowing people to learn the craft of performance while we figure out this programming.
0: And yeah, I mean, that that's so true because like uh, you you think about community theaters. I mean, one of the one of the tent poles of community theater is like how do we reach out to the community and how do we help them understand and love theater more? Um, and you guys were able to do that through this type of innovative kind of you know training this 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 class in this education platform that you guys really rolled out um, really quite well, I thought.
1: And Dorinda, what have what have and, you been doing?
0: Yes, tell us, Dorinda.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm right there with the rest of you. We, uh, we had a show, we had two performances of before we got shut down. And, um, I think here in, in, um, Oregon, it's been, uh, numbers have been high. Um, but our, our, uh, state governor has really kept us shut down. So we definitely have had to dip our toe into the digital world. Um, We're a little bit of a unicorn in the community theater world in that we are already small show, um, sort of social justice um, oriented. So that actually worked to our benefit, I think, uh, during this time. uh, We were able to do small online readings. Uh, We did a a broadcast of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which went as far as the UK. So cool so many people from all over the world uh logging into our little theater company in portland oregon it was amazing um that's one of the other things that we really focused on is sort of like national and global connections you right. know finding our friends uh all over the nation and saying hey we're doing this online content do you want to hop in and be a producer do you want to hop on and be a uh, contributor. And um, that's really helped keep us um, sort of active and exciting. And I think the other approach that we had, um, for me personally, uh, as a leader, was sort of refocusing on what sets community theater apart. And that, uh, as Julie said, is really the focus on community. So. We created a, a community hub online for everyone who's ever participated in our company at any level for the last uh, well for for the last eight years that we've been around, just sort of keeping people in and chatting and um, setting up you know cocktail hours and uh, on, on Zoom and things like that just to sort of keep those community connections alive, um, which I think has, has helped with morale. Uh, For everyone, Um, not just the cocktails, the connection. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, And um, and I think the other thing um, that we've really uh, focused on in a community sense is is looking back and appreciating uh, where we've been and how far we've come. So we were able to do some some like actor shout-outs like, Hey, Julie, remember when you played this character? And then we put a picture of you online. And everyone who saw you in that show gets to say, Wow, Julie, you Yay. were so great. Right. So that campaign was really super successful for us. Um, we also did our our gala online for the first time and and it was amazing. Uh you we did it on Zoom, right? I we had people- so much less money. <laughs> Tony, I you nodding like many many people have, have
1: <laughs> I, I'll tell you, all my friends that are in uh marketing, they prefer it. They think it's gonna be the wave oh, of the future. Who I, I to do another better
3: yeah, you know, silent agree. auctions again? So <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we 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 really streamlined. Uh we played sort of a wheel of fortune game where you could you could just donate and then spin for your Prizes rather than bidding on specific auction things. And nice. it was just a lot of fun. There were four or five of us that streamed live for the content. Um, and we did better this year fundraising than we ever, ever have. In fact, we've doubled our donation income this year. So we just feel immensely grateful for the community support that we've had. Um, yeah. And and Dorinda, Dorinda, that's why I think that you, you know, you
0: kind of, you have a little star in my mind because I felt like you, uh, you were one of the theater leaders that um, really did take to heart that you were responsible for a community and you built something for people to connect on. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in, in um, places. Playoffs Theatre Marketing Academy, like, how do we build community online? And I just want to shout out to you for doing such a great job with that. Thank you. you I really appreciate that.
1: You know, it's really interesting, Dorinda. I have a question, and I'm sure all the organizations are different. But, you know, what was difficult for us leaping so quickly was because we had a board that we had to answer to we couldn't just produce yeah. so th- th- that is a whole other element that i it think is, yeah. the public is maybe i'm sure they're aware of it subliminally yeah
3: yeah yeah, but- yeah. as a non as a, the- a community theater especially nonprofit you you know we have a board too and and um i've even said you know it's a challenge to um make these big decisions when your governing body is only meeting once a month right so that's also a challenge that we put out to our board was we need to be meeting every week or, or, or twice a month or whatever it takes to get caught up on, you know, the pandemic moved so quickly, information changed every day. So the biggest challenge uh, that I set for myself was communicating with our members. What's happening? How are we taking it in? How are we responding? Um, And I think that that really served us well. Uh, So, but yeah.
0: Hunter, Hunter, let's bring everybody back into the conversation for this point, because I think it's a really good one. We all, you know, we're all, you know, most of us do have boards or we are uh, pursuing that nonprofit angle uh, for our organizations. Um, But you bring up a really good point. It's like, you know, how quickly can you move? Um, Tony, did you have something to add to that? Well, you know, it's interesting.
1: It's how quickly can you move and how do you honor the needs of your constituents Mm -hmm. and defend them for example for our kids it was important for us not to uh stream recorded material we wanted them to perform live So all three of our kid shows were performed live with stage managers. They had costumes that they picked up in bags. We figured out everything that we could to give them as close to the experience as it was humanly possible. And audiences really responded to that. On the flip side, our older volunteers loved the streaming taped performances because it enabled them in the most stressful time of our existence to have some brain space to go into rehearsal all that time. And it, it, you all know what I'm talking about psychologically. So so serving your volunteers' needs in a very sensitive way during a sensitive time and giving them the food that they need to perform.
0: Now, I have a question for, um, for those of you that um, a lot of you, like I said at the top, we all wore many hats. We all wear many hats in our theater. Could... Uh, Uh, My question to you all is coming kind of back to what we do here at Playhouse Theater Marketing Academies. We really do focus in on on like what does the content look like and how do we get it out to our people online and how do we market effectively? I'm just curious if any of you would love to share maybe some uh, some learnings that you have around how you um, sort of went to market with some of your uh, efforts. You know, Bert, maybe you could start on that one.
5: Well, you know, just to uh, what I mentioned about the Halloween thing, how one Facebook post really, um, you know, did the trick. And I, I, I'm just in awe of how that medium has really uh, risen as the number one way to get, to let people know what you're doing and right. to get people to respond. The other well, Bert, thing we're is- all in
1: awe of you because to have that algorithm read by that many people. <laughs> no. we're all
5: like,
1: it was how- crazy. I yeah.
0: know. I'm like. My dream. You
5: know, also, I'll find marketing-wise, um, in what used to be really hard to get the attention of the press, the press, um, yeah. now they, they're hungry to print your press release, to talk about it. Uh, I'd send out a press release and get like 10 or 12 emails or phone calls like, could we have an interview? Could we get you in the paper? And I, 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 you know, for whoever is reading the paper online, they're seeing my pictures, they're seeing our shows, they're seeing what we're doing. They're like, oh, that's right, Panicino's still doing things. I, I just couldn't believe that how easy it was. One press release that normally wouldn't get seen anywhere here in the Connecticut area is appearing in every little newspaper and big newspaper and uh, TV stations are picking it up and calling and saying, could we come and do a, a live hookup from your event? That never happens.
0: <laughs> That's a really good point. I know some folks that are on the screen right now that made it onto the local news and and, and big, you know, and big things that never usually happen in, you know, in pre in, in, in before times, as they say. Anybody else have any thoughts? You know, I know some of our some of the people that are watching over on Crowdcast are very curious about um how you made successful um fundraisers um and how you marketed that. Does anybody have anything to say about that? Or was it um
2: Yeah, Jared. Um, I would say that strategically when it came to uh, our marketing plans, um, well, first of all, we knew we weren't going to make a killing financially off of any of these projects. And so our main goal was really about staying connected with our community and specifically, staying connected to our subscribers, our donors, our fans, making sure that, you know, it was a little more focused. This isn't like doing a a Beauty and the Beast and you're reaching out to all these people who don't normally come see your shows. We are really targeting our base with these events. And what I will say is that, you know, because we did that, um, this ties into the fundraising, our end of year appeal has actually been really strong this year with the people that we've been reaching out to, that we've stayed in touch with, and provided content for them. Um, I've seen a great response just now. I've I've got another small stack of checks that just came in through the mail. And did you
0: do that through a ga- did you do that through an online gala or an online
2: event? No, no, it was it was an no. interview with direct mail. Uh, a lot of. stuff uh email marketing all of that it was not a single event it's been Got something it. that we've been doing since uh we started the appeal in October and we've just been hitting it highlighting donors asking them doing little interviews with uh why did you get to theater Tulsa and posting their their uh, stories on our social media um and we've gotten a, a fair amount of long legs out of that
0: great Jeremy how about you tell us about like how did how did Farmers alley approach um fundraising
4: content this year? Well, the our first event was in May. Uh, we called it "The Sun Is Going to Shine," and we decided to partner up with a local frontline organization uh, and and help Bronson Hospital and the Bronson Healthcare Fund. And so we thought this is a way to raise money not only for Farmers Alley, but to also so show love and support and raise some money for some for some local frontline workers. Um, and and that that turned out to be successful. We raised, you know couple thousand dollars and split it between the organizations. Um, and then we did one recently in November called By Request. And we called that our end of the year fundraiser and it was a virtual event. And what we did was we asked our patrons to submit, we, we sent out an email where they would like survey, where they could tell us their favorite songs or scenes or monologues throughout our 12 year history um, and let them kind of pick it and kind of be, you know, sort of the creative content uh, co-collaborators and we gave them what they wanted. So therefore, by buy request. Um, and then we had some tiered pricing, like Traylon was mentioning earlier, sort of tier, you know, tiered pricing where we could say, look, the event is 1995, but if you can, if you're in a place financially and you can afford it, you know, $100 or 500 will get you this swag bags. We had gifts, we had champagne and, you know, cookies, crackers, CDs, you know, some special gifts. And then we even offered like meet and greets with some of the more, you know, Farmer's Alley favorites or like some of the more famous friends of ours that are in New York and say, hey, you can do a meet and greet with so-and-so Broadway star so-and-so. And so so that's another way to maybe, you know, have some special perks for those higher ticket prices.
0: Yeah. And Tony had asked um, a question about uh, Tony over on Crowdcast had asked, um, you know, how uh, do you all feel about polling your audiences about what they would like to watch? And so Jeremy's example is a perfect idea of how you can control the questions that you ask your patrons um, through email surveys, um, social media posts, and, and they can be a part of the choices and a part of the selecting of the content. It makes them much more engaged and much more invested in watching that final event and that final concert. Um, any other folks that had kind of examples of how they raise money and used events or, um, or galas online?
6: I do. I, I, like yes, that. Natasha. Um, so we initially reconciled ourselves from moving from a period. We had a few years of pretty expansive growth with our marketing and social media and followers and things like that. And, you know, seated ourselves more in a, uh, much like Jared was saying, focusing on our subscribers and our current fan base, um, and we uh, kind of hunkered down with that group. And you know, I think I think that's kind of a scary place to be, um, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be. And uh, I I also um, we found a lot of success with the goods first model. So um, we actually did for our virtual shows with our Rogue Runner series, we did a lot of these for free, free tickets, totally free. And if you'd like to donate, you know, and and we actually, I was was not convinced that 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 would be a successful way to do things, but I stand corrected. And this is why I'm not the, this is why I don't have the best ideas in the room Um, because (laughs) I I was just very pleasantly surprised and I, I appreciated how our subscribers and our season ticket holders really caught us and held us during this time.
1: And Natasha, I'm curious because I'm the same way. So many of us, marketing was thrown in our lap for the first time in our lives. I mean, it's not my area of expertise. And yet many of us had to, once again, pivot. Like Jeremy's now doing all this marketing. I mean, everyone's doing things that they never did before. So how could you have known? you know Mm -hmm. so so it's all a gamble right now i'm sorry to interrupt i think that's fabulous
6: oh not at all i mean i think and and i love what dorinda said about reaching out and connecting with other practitioners and uh you know the access i mean the beauty there's been there've been so many bad things with this pandemic right but i have loved having access to actors from across the country and being able to you know that was really cool and what an unexpected opportunity, right, to and, uh, network with network other actors together, who they would have never met.
1: And, you know, this, this, Julie, I just want to say one more thing. It's interesting, you know, in the 70s, we're, I don't know how old everyone is here, but in the 70s and 60s, 70s, 80s, those teledramas were the way that many of us came to theater. We would tune into PBS and all those right. closed set productions of, you know, BBC productions, and that's how we learned what we did. There was no audience. It was us. And and yet that's how some of us came to theater. So I think a lot of the theater that we're programming now, I think it might have a life way beyond us. And it will definitely influence more and more people to come to theater. So I think what we're doing, I think these times could be looked back a little, they might be looked back uh, a little more with a little more reverence than we think.
0: Hey, Bert, can you tell me what's what's on deck for 2021? What are your plans?
5: well we're, we're we're sculpting that right now but we we have a program right now that's very successful it's called Christmas countdown and it's the first time we picked up the camera and what we did was I filmed my company doing all sorts of little Christmas uh, skits that I wrote scenes jokes I uh, think uh, a Christmas version of Rowan and martin's laughing if you're old enough to remember that and we've distributed that people subscribed to it and got a, a little three-minute clip every morning from December 1st through the 24th and it's worked very well, and I've had such great feedback from it that I'm trying to come up with a way to tell a story or stories uh, that that you subscribe to, and that you instead of having to sit there for an hour, especially for for, for younger uh, attention spans, this way your child can get a five-minute story, uh, you know, maybe maybe twice a week or three times a week, and and tell it that way. So we're, we're working on something like that. I'm also working with the local arts council, uh, and hopefully we're going to create an outdoor sort of a temporary venue for things coming up in in the spring and the summer months which I uh, think would be uh, a really fun thing to do
0: nice you you touched on what what i think is the in in I believe is the next wave of this type of content is what I, what we call in the marketing world, bite-sized content. Um, You know, I think we all went all in on let's, let's do the teleplay. Let's get this, let's get something up on its feet, right? We experienced the park type um, events or we did something in our spaces. We had a controlled experience, maybe like, tell me a story like Jared did, but this new, this new next wave I feel is, is that bite-sized content. How can we deliver a punch in small bite-sized pieces for people to enjoy Enjoy throughout their week and throughout their month. Um, and so like once again, Bert, you're right on the heels of what I think <laughs> is gonna be what's next in this world. Jorinda, um, what about you guys? Are you guys, do you guys have plans for the next
3: three months, six months, year? Uh, yeah, we're, um, we've got a little bit of digital content. I hope coming up with some local playwrights, um, we, we've had some tech issues and tech turnover. So we'll see if that happens, um, but we're gearing up to come back uh, limited Uh, live in the spring. So um, fingers crossed that we get a a large portion of of people vaccinated. And and I know it won't be a return to normal just yet, but hopefully it's a return to um, something new and exciting. Uh, Smaller audiences, smaller casts, more intimate work. Um, We're really excited to see what we can do with that, with the the uh, restrictions and parameters are making us more creative so we're excited about Again, creativity what we can first. Um, Jerry, what
0: about you guys? what's going on um, in 21?
4: Uh, more digital content for a while. Um, a little bit of uh, a, a little birdie gave us the idea to do some bite-sized stuff um, like the seven days of Valentine's Day and doing a sending out a love song to our patrons they buy it. And then we send out one love song a day leading up to Valentine's Day. Uh, someone really wise gave us that idea. And <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> yes, and then um, tr- looking forward to doing some outdoor stuff in the late spring and early summer. Some more backyard broadways, um, partnering up and doing uh, maybe a, a children's theater production outdoors. And then hopefully opening, reopening our actual doors in the fall.
0: Nice, Tony. What about you?
1: We're well. We were lucky, Julie. We we'll do ten shows this year. We'll have done, produced ten full shows, so we'll
0: Remarkable.
1: do so. We'll do a, a socially distanced. Hopefully, uh, we're planning for both. Uh, Tempest. Uh, those yes. are two three person scenes. I edited it myself. Got it down to a, a school length, so we can nice. send out to schools.
0: Nice. the whole
1: curriculum, uh, we'll do a production of Almost Maine in May. We're doing three kids productions, and then. Uh, because we have an intern program, our interns are done in June. So we'll have new interns coming in in June. The way we're looking at our next season is we wanted to land on something that we could plan pretty precisely. So it looks for us as if we will tentatively open uh, uh, Christmas time next year and right. then go into a then we'll go full throttle into a, a season but we you know we have like like a lot of the places we have three spaces that we need to fill and and so it's it's a lot of planning so we're taking the time to plan and and not jumping the gun like so many of us have done
0: i know i, I feel bad for these theaters that keep trying to open a show and then close it and cancel it and then cancel it again and cancel it again none of you are in that 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 pod of people mind you
1: but the psychological yeah. disappointment but for your psychological, you know, exactly
0: for especially right. community theaters, you know, the you you've got people that are working hard on something and it, it just it's heartbreaking. Um, what about you, Natasha? What's going up? What's coming up for you guys this fall, this winter, we spring, are, summer?
6: We have our, our improv going monthly. We have uh, a um, our production that we had to stop in March because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Circle Mirror Transformation will be opening in April. And um, we're just kind of puzzle piecing our main stage season based on what we had planned last year and what we want to do this year. And um, I did just want to say, I love what you said about the bite-sized pieces. I don't know about you guys. I am just so overloaded with screen things. I feel like bite-sized pieces are the the thing I can do. It is, it is.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Julie, can I, uh, Natasha, I was on a call, uh, Julie had a talk earlier this year you had such a, you made such an impact on me in that call. And Julie, I want to thank you for bringing us together as a group in an organiz- to be able to talk in an organized way about these things because it's so needed.
0: You are so welcome. So
1: thank you for doing this. You
0: know what, I have one last question for everyone. I want it to be a speed round. I want you to talk to all of the folks in the Academy and all the people that are watching today that are feeling Mm -hmm. a bit behind, they feel stuck, they maybe feel defeated, um, that things have not gone the way they had hoped. Do you have, what, what short little sentence of
2: advice do you have for them? Let's start out with Jared. Um, I would say, you know, theater has been uh, knocked down plenty of times. It's yeah. always been close to death for generations and eons, and it keeps surviving. And we're going to keep surviving. People need this, you know. There's always going to be a market for it. So um, I would say, just keep knowing that that our your community needs you and needs the work that you're doing, and they will come back. Jeremy, I, I, what about you?
4: I'm going to steal from Nike and say, just do it. You know, it's scary, right? And we don't really know what we're doing, but you just got to do it. And you know your audiences and what they love. If they're into musical theater, then do an evening of musical theater songs and post it online. And even if you're not comfortable selling tickets, do it for free and ask for donations. People are very willing to support you. If they know you and they love you and they love what you do, um, they're gonna be willing to support that financially, um, if they can. It is a rough time for everyone financially, I'm not gonna lie, obviously. But if they have the ability to do it, they will do it. So try it, you mm-hmm. won't know until you try it, you know, and do Darinda, something. What about you? Yeah, go ahead, sorry.
3: Dorinda, go ahead. Great, I'm, I'm just gonna say, keep focusing on the communities that you serve whether you're a community theater or regional or Lort or whatever, uh, focus on the service that we provide, which is bringing arts to the people. And for those of you that are producers, gosh, it's okay to take a few days and just do nothing. This is our first pandemic, people. Give yourselves a break. Give yourselves a break. I I love it. Tony, what about you?
1: I think go with what you know uh i'm an actor i'm a director so what i've been doing is reading all plays in the public domain there are thousands and thousands of fabulous work that doesn't get produced anymore people have left alone reinvestigate and and those things can be produced for free without any limitations so you don't even have to worry about royalties i say go with that material and uh, teach good acting
0: nice natasha what about you
6: i i think the the adage is true when the going gets tough, tough get going. So get going, do something. Do something and fail, do something and succeed. Just make something.
0: And Bert, what about you? Yeah, I'll go
5: back to your mission statement and make that come true. Uh, do what makes you special and be very excited about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. I love it. Listen, all of you, thank you so much for being here. You always inspire me. You always teach me things every time I'm able to talk to you. I love watching what you do online. You're inspiring to all of us. And I hope all of you have a great holiday and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.